Hi, this is Tom Wilk, Chief Editor of Plant Services, welcoming you back to a new episode of the Tool Belt Podcast. In this episode, I speak with Brad Booty of Emerson Automation Solutions on a topic that's near and dear to my heart, and one which he's thought about quite a bit as well, which is, with the gradual reduction in size of many maintenance departments, are we gradually witnessing the, ca- the death of capital M maintenance teams? Um, we do think there's a future for these teams, but how large these teams will be and how they'll interact with outside partners is a question that we talked about in today's podcast. Brad, thanks for being here on the podcast today. We had a really good discussion uh, about a week and a half ago, and I'm really happy we're talking today in depth about these issues. Yeah, excited to be here, Tom. Thanks for having me. So if you could tell the audience of the Toolbox podcast, who might not know you already, tell us a little bit about yourself and what sort of digital projects you're working on right now that get you all fired up in the morning. Yeah, cool. cool. So, uh, so my name is Brad Buddy. I lead the Digital Customer Experience Program for Emerson Automation Solutions. And what we work on are digitizing uh, workflows internally and with our customers. So we're trying to, you know, our main objective is to make work easier. And so we spent a lot of time thinking about the digital technology and where that's headed. And, you know, when I get up in the morning, that's really the passion that drives us is making sure we stay connected with customer expectations and customers are people too, right? So people's expectations about using digital tools and, and being easy to do business with. And, and really at the, at the end of it all, you know, it's our job to, um, to make things easy, right? To make workflows easy. And I was telling my team, it's, it's hard work to make things simple. So therein is the job. Uh, that's a great point. I think just basic PM optimization on the part of plant teams can be a bear, even something that, that so-called simple uh, has, has nuances. Right. Um, Every, everything has a nuance. <laughs> so you got to work through all that. And... Well, let me start with the topic that we really clicked on last time, which is the death of capital M maintenance. Um, you know, I, I've been observing uh, a trend that happens as plant teams get smaller or as plant teams uh, go through retirements and just shrink that way. Um, in some plants, shrinkage happens so much that it, or teams have become so decentralized that sometimes I think that these teams won't ever reach the size that they used to be. Um, and, they're in, and at this point, they reach out to third party partners for help or OEMs for help. So, you know, you mentioned that you've seen this too. What's your take? on this trend of maintenance teams sort of changing or evolving from what, where they were even about five years ago. Yeah, we, we do see that happen. And I think for us, if you look back five years first, I think there was a really strong push to move from paper into digital, especially through the pandemic, right? The, I've seen a lot of quotes from our customers even that we are no longer using paper catalogs because we're either not in the office or we can't can't get to them. And so that, you know, the, the move to digital, I think is just what we're in right now. And then where it's going in that shift that, that I think, you know, you're, you're implying that the death of the big M maintenance that's coming is as technology continues to advance, both in, in the products of, of operations and running a plant um, and also in, you know, cloud capabilities like that, we're going to see the technology change so much that it's going to be so complex I, you know, maintenance departments are going to have a hard time having that depth of knowledge to keep up with that complexity, right? So I think what what that's going to in turn lead to is more reliance on uh, original equipment manufacturers to help with the maintenance, right? 
So I think there's going to be a partnership. And if you want to look at an example in my mind, that the change that happened in automobiles and automobile, automobile maintenance is kind of where I think that's going. Cars are so complex now that it's, it's difficult for, for maintenance people to keep up with that change. So I think that same thing is happening in plants. No, I hear you. The, the corner mechanic is sort of vanishing little by little as, as cars become more computerized and more chipped up. Right, right. So with all those chips comes all the data and the technology, right? So I think in order for that future future state to happen, we're going to have to be more open to sharing data and, and allowing that data to move between the asset and the maintenance department and the OEM in order to make the right decisions, you know? Yeah. And the first asset class that I noticed a lot of that happening was compressors, simply because those are so complex. Um, but I was down at the EASA, the ESA convention in June, and uh, they were talking about seeing that shift as motors either get, uh, again, too complex sometimes for maintenance teams to handle, or honestly, they get so simplified that they become commodities and it's easier to replace than to repair. Either way, the direction gets shifted back towards the OEMs to, to, to help to assist maintenance teams in making the repairs. Yep. I agree with you. We see that happening. Yeah. So... Let me ask you one COVID question today, and it relates to this topic about the death of capital M maintenance. Yeah. How are plants, in your opinion, what you've seen, how are they coping with challenges related to worker shortages right now, especially with that current one-two punch of COVID sick outs and a gradually aging workforce? Yeah, I think what we see happening is, is simply forcing prioritization and planning. You know, there's a, with a limited set of resources, you can only make a few, a few decisions. So what that means is there's more pull for uh, better information. And then once we have info, that leads to better execution. So, you know, I, th I think this shift is, I see this happening in a two-part process. Again, the thinking of more technology being put in a plant, so you have better information, more tech being put on assets at Emerson, you know, that's a, a big and growing part of our business is the uh, tech adding technology sensors and software over the top of, of assets. And, and in, then the information you get there is to put the context into a way that the maintenance manager or operations manager can make better decisions, right? So back to the idea of it's hard work to make things simple. Mm -hmm. um, that software has to pull all the information out and give, give you a good idea of what to do. So then the maintenance department with dealing with COVID sick outs and, and all the experience that we have in the plant retiring, it, you know, then, then it comes into execution. So this is the second part of the process. I think the, what we're seeing people deal with is once a work order is cut, they need better, more detailed contextual maintenance content, like how to, or instruction manuals, that kind of thing down to the, the assets specifically. And so we're working to, you know, atomize that content and make sure the right, the right stuff is in front of the right person who has the right skill set in, in the right procedure. You know, it's funny. We just wrapped up our workforce survey for the year 2021 for plant services. Interestingly, the number one obstacle that people pointed to uh, towards getting work done was knowledge transfer, knowledge capture, this issue, this issue you just talked about of getting the right information to the right person at the right time. Um, and we've all seen the shift towards mobile. How do you think that shift is going? Are we there yet or do we have some ways to go? Uh, yeah, I don't know that mobile is going to be the thing. You know, we've actually seen um, penetration of mobile flatten in our in our in the way that consumers use our, our maintenance content and our engineering content. Mm -hmm. I still think 
that, you know, an engineer doing work is going to use two big screens and they're going to have one screen, they're going to have their ERP or CMMS and the other screen they have their email and web browser. And that's definitely true in engineering. And I think in maintenance planning, that same thing is true. You know, you have your, your operational software on one screen and then the other one you're pulling content and putting it all together. Right. And so I think just the the mobile aspect of it really only applies once some, once a work order is cut and a, and a maintenance tech has to go out and do work. Um, so we saw a good ramp of that early when mobile devices really shrank and, and became computers, but um, flattened off in the last three years. Okay. Well, let's shift to related topic, which is cloud-based maintenance. I mean, we, we know the shift is on, um, plant services editors seem to see a progression happening where once plants begin their condition-based remote monitoring programs, they start moving some data into the cloud, then more data into the cloud. And before you know it, you've got a cloud program going. Uh, what's your take on how cloud-based maintenance initiatives are changing business as usual for maintenance? And, you know, especially the way that it might change the relationship we talked about with OEMs, distributors, people like that. Yeah, it definitely relationship. The, we're, we're getting pressure for this all the time as the, uh, a more clear line is being drawn between IT and OT and IT departments are really, really pushing for this, right? Because they understand the value and the benefit. And, and frankly, as workers, you and I, Tom, we have Microsoft systems everywhere likely. And, and that, that kind of thinking again creates the standard we expect to see. So when you move down into the maintenance process, you have that same expectation. Mm-hmm. I think in regards to cloud, one of my favorite examples is John Deere. I don't know if you've you've paid any attention to what they've done in modernizing tractors and cloud capabilities. No, tell me all about it. Yeah, so I, I love their example because uh, in farming, you know, one of the last places you think technology would, would really grab a hold or cloud would really grab a hold, they've automated tractors and put all sorts of sensors on, on their equipment, like a combine harvester so that they can get data down of uh, down in the um, field, what's happening every square, every square yard. So they're measuring yield as they harvest, they're measuring soil conditions, and they're sending all that up to the cloud. And that's the farmer's data. So here's where, you know, here's where I think the shift is happening is, is the cloud now enables all sorts of business models to arise on top of that. And say in the case of John Deere, Five years ago, I talked to them. They had 20 external users of this AP, of APIs of that farmer's data. Mm-hmm. And, and I just uh, listened to a podcast, and they're now at 400. Wow. 400 users of that data. So the cloud enabled that, right? So what the, what's happening there is business models are being enhanced on top of it, like a fertilizer company, right? They, they, can, they can see that farmer's field data and the yields, and then they can provide back to the farmer a customized fertilizer solution that then goes down into the tractor when they go out, you know, tomorrow and, and fertilize. So fertilizer companies makes a lot of sense. Insurance companies are looking at that. So now they can get a better idea of what their real exposure is across all these farms. Um, other equipment manufacturers are plugging into that data and coming up with new and different equipment that they could plug or um, hook behind a tractor. And, and send out to the field. And even like drone manufacturers are using that. So they can send out drones to go look at bad spots or hot spots and diagnose without having a farmer having to go out in the field. So you look at all these layers that are enabled, innovation layers that are enabled on top of cloud. And so for us, and, and like, you know, back to the maintenance department, I think that those examples are really real. Um, the change is coming, albeit a bit slower. Uh, that's 
a little bit scary that we're moving slower than farmers. Um, but what it does is it's forcing us to connect our systems, uh, decide what data we exp we're willing to take out of the plant, mm -hmm. and then what partnerships we're willing to forge to take advantage of that. So those questions are what we're challenging with now. And I think what that'll lead to in our world is an extension of the players in the vendor supplier relationship. Okay. So if we build these connections to the cloud, um, now like raw material ingredient suppliers might be interested in seeing yield or process information. I used to work in the plastics industry. Never once did we think about sharing the output of our plastic extrusion parameters back with the pellet suppliers, with the raw material suppliers. What if we had done that? Could they had, could their chemists had come up with a better way to formulate for our specific processes? Probably, right? right. Um, so I think sharing that data will enable raw material suppliers to change. And then another one that I think a lot about is um, lately is sustainability, right? What if downstream, what if our water and wastewater plants could be connected back to how we're consuming and using water in our plants and then help drive better programs together using real-time information that we could, you know, load balance, recycle, all those kind of things. Right. Like, those are new and interesting models that could emerge out of cloud-based initiatives and data sharing and partnerships. You know, it, I'm curious too about you, what you said about uh, um, your example with plastics. Do you think long-term this has the potential to help overcome the supply chain hiccups that we're all seeing right now? Uh, as, as we as, as we look at a post-COVID world and see how those uh, relationships have changed? It, yeah, I, I mean, I think, well, some of these things are, uh, you know, some of the events we're dealing with are were not predicted, right? So could we get better at predicting these things, you know, and yeah. predicting our supply chain? That'd be one way to do it, perhaps. Um, but then secondly, I think supply chain connectivity is one, is something that we at Emerson, we're looking at a lot, right? We have to have really tight, supply chain connections, not just one degree of freedom away, but two and sometimes three down to the raw material coming out of the ground or coming out of the tank or whatever it is. So, you know, if you can connect it multiple steps and do better planning and allocation, yeah, I think there's opportunity there as well. Okay. Well, let me ask you one more question, uh, which is specifically about work orders. Um, you know, clearly plants approach work orders in a lot of different ways. Uh, some plants may wrestle with moving the data they collect into their CMMS to actually trigger the work orders. Some may uh, have trouble getting through the backlog, um, especially in the age of smaller maintenance teams and in an age where we're going digital bread. What are some things you'd recommend for plants who are facing work order challenges who want to optimize their PMs or, or get through the backlog? Yeah, so that's a fun question because that's like real. What can we do right now, right, Tom? Good, good, good challenging question. Um, here at Emerson, one of the things we're doing is, is an extension really of that first digitalization step I mentioned, if you can move from paper to digital content, that's a huge new opportunity for you. And you can start to take that digital content and contextualize it, make it smaller, easier, easier to understand, easier for a maintenance planner to put into a work packet and easier for a maintenance tech to execute that. So what we're doing to help enable that and is putting QR codes on our physical products, for example. So with a quick scan, now you know exactly what maintenance manual, you know, the spare parts, you know, the calibration cycles, um, uh, all that kind of stuff. 
and the life cycle of the product, you know, what we recommend for warranty and service. So with that information now, just through a QR code scan, now you have, now you're like light years ahead of knowing what to do next. And so, you know, I'd recommend maintenance teams look at trying to find better ways to connect that information into the, the work orders that they build. Um, and then I, I think secondly, um, the CMMS and, and um, software that we use to run maintenance, like we have to challenge that industry to really continue to evolve. I know some of them are moving to the cloud and I think more of them need to move to the cloud. I, I view I view those as, as IT systems. I don't know if everyone shares that perspective. I'd actually be curious when I finish answering this, what your perspective on that is. Okay. Um, so I think if they're IT systems, that means they're in the cloud. We make sure the data that we keep in them is shareable with partners. So then the last part of the answer to your question is, I think we need to embrace this partnership concept. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if this is an IT system and we're not concerned about really that as concerned about cybersecurity risks with a maintenance work order, you know, like we would be with plant info, we have to open up and embrace working APIs between these systems to help accelerate the work and get the work better the first time. Because, you know, like you said early on, fewer people means we're prioritizing. So we have to get better at doing the work and we have to open up and partner to get better at it. Right, no, I hear you loud and clear. And when it comes to IT systems versus OT systems, uh, it's a challenging question because traditionally you'd expect them, what I've seen IT would be responsible for new software management and implement, implementation. Right. Um, the challenge becomes who can have the, the conversation on what re, what's required of the system and the product. And so, you know, just in my experience, what I've seen is that IT will become the default project manager, um, but IT can't always have the right kind of conversations that the operations side can and how to, and how to spec it out and, and design requirements. Then on the opposite side, you've got OT man to be able to have the business conversations that IT can have based on all the other systems that are in place in, in the plant to help leverage a good deal, for example, or to identify integration risks. So if pushed, I'd say IT systems, but barely because these days, the IT-OT integration and partnership, as you were implying that there. It's a very real thing, and I don't think plants will get the best out of their systems unless those two teams come together to have the best conversation. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, that, that does make sense. And so I think the, the people collaborating uh, between IT and OT needs to happen. The information system might have some boundary layer between it. Do you think there's a willingness to share information with partners? Like, How close are we to that in your view, Tom? Interestingly, in the surveys that we've done, year over year, we see a gradual increased willingness. Um, when we ask people how often do they share data and who with, we see uh, increased willingness, say, quarterly with teams outside the plant. And that includes OEMs and third-party uh, maintenance teams coming in to help. So there is a willingness, a very slow willingness. Uh, and, and it's related to the trends that you talked about, which is that Number one, plant teams, I think, recognize that they can't uh, do it all themselves, digital, that there's partners out there who can help help, help them make sense of their data. Right. Um, but number two is necessity. You know, you, you've got to diversify your maintenance workforce, not only on a person-to-person um, level, but also on a team level. You, you can't just rely on that capital M maintenance team to get done what has to get done with asset care. Um, your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I guess I fully agree with you. I, I wish it were happening faster. You know, that it's interesting to hear that data. Um, when I 
when I see how fast farming is changing, you know, they clearly realize the financial benefits of, of sharing data and information. And they see, they see the business outcome in, in the yields coming out of the field. Maybe we just haven't figured out the, the best financial tie out to this problem that we're talking about here. And we need to simplify <laughs> the answer to that <laughs> and then simplify the messaging. I wonder about the the, kill, yeah, the killer app effect. Uh, one case I heard out west in a mining company, the company had censored up all their vehicles after they rebuilt them um, to the point where they could detect whether, <clears throat> excuse me, whether a vibration anomaly was a vehicle issue or a road issue. And what they found was that they actually improved road repairs. It was a secondary benefit, but that was the real benefit was you could, you could, you could, Manage your fleet and repair it and avoid new capital expenditures. But the real the real benefit was increased throughput by having the road <laughs> uh, rebuilt yeah. a lot more often. See, I think that's a great example of, of partnering because you you bring in the uh, the road maintenance department to help solve the core problem, which is you know only tangentially related to all the sensors in the asset class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I don't think it had occurred to the team uh, to actually look at throughput benefits when they were repairing their trucks, but turns out they could do it. Yeah, right. So then when you tie the financial outcome to it, you can tell this great little vignette of a story and people begin to understand it. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I think the text there, I think all the, the cool features and data analysis we need is there. We just, I think we have to get better at the, the business value that it creates and understanding that and being able to scale it out. Yeah. And to that point, too, uh, part of what Plant Services tries to do in, in the magazine and on the website is to arm our readers with that vocabulary. Uh, when it comes to the conversations, uh, plenty of maintenance teams and reliability managers can have these business conversations and build a business case, discuss ROI, um, re- replacement asset value. Um, but there are those who would need to get their speed their game up and, and recognize that the more those conversations are possible, the better they can run the, ma- the maintenance team. Yeah, right. You're directly linked. Give your point. So, well, Brad, uh, I think we've about hit our time. I really enjoyed our conversation today, ranging from uh, the death of Capital One maintenance all the way to resurrecting them. So, <laughs> we came full circle, didn't we? That was fun. Time. <laughs> <laughs> so, thanks. And uh, for those who are listening, uh, we'll put information about um, Emerson in the podcast notes. Um, and once again, Brad, thanks for being here this week. Yeah, it was my pleasure, Tom. I appreciate that conversation. It was fun. Hope you have a hope you have a great week.